It's a privilege to be together today and to worship together and to have such a beautiful time. Who would want to be anywhere else on this Sunday morning but to be here and to just experience the presence of the Lord? I thank our team, our lead worshipers, Chris and everybody, just for just the amazing way of leading us in worship. Now, as many of you know, we go, we've been on holiday and we've come back. We like to do our holiday quite early in uh, December and then so that we can be back here for Christmas and for this time of the year. And um, we, when we go on holiday, we have quite a trek ahead of us. We camp down in the Eastern Cape somewhere to be not disclosed secret location, although I know many of you have figured it out already. But it's about a 14-hour drive that we have when we drive down to, to where we go camping. And uh, normally we break it up into two parts and we overnight somewhere because we're pulling a trailer and it's you know, quite a story. And, um, but this year for many, many reasons we actually did a, a trip that the first leg of our trip was 12 hours and the second leg was two hours so that we could get there early enough and set up camp and, and the whole deal. Um, and it's, we go to the same place for many years now, so we know the road really well. And when I drive on holiday, I, I don't drive fast. I take it quite slow. I, I try and drive about 105 kilometers an hour and just drive slow, but deliberately. I don't want to waste time along the road. We, we stop short and quick, and sometimes we even eat meals in the car so, because I want to get there, but slowly and deliberately. So if anything happens along the way that, that causes time wastage, I, I, I just I don't like it. And uh, so this year we were driving and we were just calm, the quiet roads were quite quiet and we were having a good time driving down towards our holiday destination. And we got to Colesburg um, and uh, you know, just after Colesburg the, the road splits the highway and then you go the N, N9 or you go the N1 and I'm very comfortable with that road, I know it so well and just after Colesburg I split off and go to the N9 and you go towards PE side of, of our country. And, you know, that's what always happens. And uh, this year we went past Colesburg and I was driving. And about five, seven minutes behind Colesburg, I realized I never took the N9. I'm on the N1. I'm on my way to Cape Town. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what was going on with me. I think perhaps I was on a little bit of autopilot or making sure that I was keeping to the speed limit in Colesburg because you get lots of traffic fines around there. And uh, so... I thought, oh, hang, what do I do now? I'm, I'm on the wrong road. And uh, the GPS, I looked at the GPS. The GPS said there's a road coming up. If, in, if you turn left, it's about eight kilometers, then you can get back on the right road. So I thought, that's oh, not too bad. I, so I proceeded down the road, got to this road, and turned left what I hoped would be eight kilometers, but it was a dirt road. So I thought, oh, this is not a good idea. Natasha said, what are you doing? This is not a good idea. You know, with a trailer that's quite heavy loading, when you drive on a dirt road, things like broken axles and all of those things become possibilities. But being a man of faith and of hope, which is just a different way to say being stupid, I, I proceeded to go down the dirt road. I thought if I drive carefully eight kilometers, it'll save me from the horror of having to turn back. I don't wanna do that. I wanna go forward and I wanna get closer to our holiday destination. So we drove down this road for about eight kilometers and then the GPS did this thing which it so often does. Where we got to a place in the road and it changed and it said, now turn right or left, I can't remember, and 32 kilometers later, you'll get onto the right road. And I stopped. And it, it became real to me. Like, I sobered up in that moment of my thinking and I thought, 
What am I doing? And, and I, I just, how did I get here? Here we were standing as a family in the middle of the Karoo, open countryside on this dirt road. How did we get here? I'd, you know, I had to turn around, drive all the way back the eight kilometers on this not such a nice dirt road and be very careful and slow, drive all the way back to, to Colesburg and then go around on the N9 and then we lost about 45 minutes, which I'm still irritated about today. <laughs> How many of you know that in life sometimes we get to a place where you get at, at, and, and you stop and you go, how did I get here? How, how did I get to this place? Now, I was fortunate in that situation that I knew where I took the wrong turn. But so often in life, we, we don't know. Life unfolds. Life happens. And we're on the journey of life. And we, we're setting our course and our direction. We, we're going somewhere in life. And we have a hope and a dream and an expectation. But somewhere along the road, we miss a turn. Or something develops. Or something happens. And you get to a place and you're in the middle of nowhere. And you go, how did I get here? I feel further away from my destination than I do when I started. Have you ever felt like that? How did I get here? I love the scripture in this that the scripture has something to say about every life experience that we have. And and this that I'm describing to you, this feeling of of things not quite working out the way that you hoped, of, of, of things not going as you thought they were going to go, The scripture has a lot to say about that. And in the Psalms, there's a beautiful Psalm that was written to talk about this experience. And it's Psalm 84, very well-known Psalm. But Psalm 84 is a beautiful Psalm where the Psalmist uses the, the analogy of the road towards Jerusalem to describe this kind of experience of how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? Many of you will know that um, the Jewish people in those times, it would be one of the things that they would want to do in their life is to go on a pilgrimage towards the temple and to go worship at the temple in Jerusalem. It was the height of their of not only their religious experience, but their national experience. It was the definition of who they were as a people. So you wanted to go to Jerusalem in your lifetime to go and worship there. Uh, how many of you remember the story that I, I told around Easter? of Joseph and his sons that traveled 800 miles, if I remember correctly, from North Africa over two or three months to get to Jerusalem, to go worship in Jerusalem. Many Jewish people did this. They went on these long journeys with this hope and this dream to get to Jerusalem, to go and see the splendor of Jerusalem and the temple and to go worship in the house of the Lord. The the psalmist takes that pilgrimage as a analogy for this life experience that many of us have, of a journey that we set off on, of a dream and a hope that we have, that something's going to happen in our life, that, we, that we're longing for something good, something beautiful, and we set off on a journey to go and get to that place that we hope for and dream about. Now, I want us to read Psalm 84 together, and then I'm going to double back on, on the scripture, and we're going to just work our way through it a little bit. But if you don't mind, will you join me in reading Psalm 84? It's not a long psalm. It starts in verse one. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, 
Yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young in a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king, our, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's army, what joy for those who trust in you. Beautiful psalm that captures in some way the deepest longing of the human heart. Whether you may recognize it, whether you may know it, whether you may have submitted to it, whether you may have given it rise in your life, the deepest longing of the human soul is to be with God. We were created by God for God. As somebody once said, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that nothing or no one else can fill but God. And it's, the, it's all of a human endeavor is motivated by this desire to feel God's presence. We find cheap substitutes. We find many ways to try and fill that hole, but nothing will suffice. Nothing will nourish and, and, and fulfill us until we are in God's presence. Most humans don't know this. They don't recognize this. Some of us may have been privileged to have come to this understanding and we have submitted to it and we have made this our life's purpose to be in his presence. But it is the deepest longing of a human being's heart to know God. Because it's only when you know God that you will know who you are. And that's why it's so powerful how Debbie led us during this time this morning and, and the team. And, and when we got to that place of recognizing it's not all about me. Because when you make it about you, you will never find you. Because only you can be found in God. Because he is the creator of everything. So to know myself, to know my life, to know what I, my life should be all about, I have to get lost in God. I have to search him and find him. And the psalmist captures this, he says, he says, particularly for those of us that have now realized this and have made this our life purpose, there's no greater, better place to be than in the dwelling place of the Lord. To be at home with God, it is the sweetest place. It is the best place. It is the greatest journey any human being will go on. The greatest adventure we will have is our journey towards to come closer to him, to know him better, to know him more is our lifelong pursuit. It's our lifelong journey. It's the place where we will find life and goodness. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heavens. I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. 
It's only in his presence that our souls, our spirits, and our bodies find their home. This is what we long for. So the psalmist pens the words, he captures the emotions, the longing for this which he holds up as the greatest achievement or the greatest journey is to get to God. But I want to take this scripture carefully and, and also apply it to anything that we feel in our life we are journeying towards. The greatest journey, and I want to stay within the confines of this, is to journey towards God. And, and I, I trust this morning that that's why you are here. You are saying, I want to get closer to God. Not that only here is the only place where you can get closer to God, but it's the motivating desire of your life is, I want to get closer to God. So I take time and energy and I invest in, how do I get closer to God? But many of us have other objectives in our lives also which as Christians should all fit within that bigger objective of getting closer to God. But perhaps this morning if I speak to you, you can think of other journeys that you've started in your life also, where you've said, I'm gonna do this and this will lead me to where I will need to go in life. Perhaps you started a relationship with somebody and there was a hope and a dream and an expectation for that relationship to get you to a, a place of goodness, a place of joy, a place of life. Or perhaps you started down a road of, of, of preparing yourself for a certain career, thinking that if I do this, then this career will lead me to a certain place of joy and fulfillment and goodness in my life. Or you bought a home, or you, or you moved to a certain place, or whatever it may be. We all have many journeys that we start. And normally when we start a journey, there's a picture in our mind. There's an, there's an idyllic picture that we have that says, this is what we're going to get at the end of the journey. The psalmist uses the temple to describe this idyllic, almost romanticized idea of something I'm gonna get to if I go down this road. Something so good and so beautiful and so wonderful. But you can talk about something else. When I, when I start this relationship with this person, it's gonna lead me to this idyllic place, this beautiful place, this wonderful place where I will find myself, where, where life will be good. We all have those kinds of journeys, small journeys, big journeys that we go on with hope, with expectation. The psalm is broken up into three pieces, generally uh, in, the, in the commentaries and, and by theologians. The first section is verse one to four where, the, where the, the person on the journey describes this idyllic goal that they've got, this objective, this, this place they're going to where they will meet the presence of God and life will be wonderful and make sense. And then you have this, the second bit which goes from verse five to eight where suddenly the road becomes difficult. And the, the realities of the difficulty of the road becomes a little bit more clear than the, the, the future expectation that they have. And it's almost like they're starting to wrestle with, is this worth it? I had this idyllic idea of I started on this journey of this beautiful place that I'm going to, but now the road is proving to be a bit difficult and I'm wondering if it's worth it to go to this idyllic place anymore. And then the last section, verse nine to 12, is where this person has now, is now in the midst of the struggle of am I going to go carry on on this journey? And then how they gather themselves, how they renew their commitment, how they strengthen themselves, and how they keep on moving forward to their 
objective. So my heart in sharing this message with you today is to say, I don't know where you are on your road, but I could think that just because of the dynamics of what our nation is going through, of what our people are going through, of just the life in this world, and, and, and because we're pastors, and I can share with so many of you with, with the other pastors, will we'll tell you about many of the stories that we know of the people in our congregation that are struggling in many areas. So, so my heart in sharing this with you is you may have started a journey to say, I'm going somewhere, and, and I've got a great picture in mind of what it's gonna be like, but now you possibly may be in that part of the road where you go, how did I get here? Things are not going as I thought. Things are not working out the way I expected. Is it worth it to continue on? And then to perhaps through this psalm, give you one or two clues or or tools to say, how do I carry on? So that's what I wanna do quickly this morning. So verse one to four is this description that this person has of this beautiful place that they're going to, this amazing thing that they're going to do. And again, I wanna be quick to remind us that the ultimate journey is to go towards God's presence. And may it be for every one of us as, as believers that there's alive within our heart some idea of, wow, I want to be in God's presence. I want to, I want to experience His goodness. But even in that, we can sometimes romanticize it. We can idealize it. We use words like revival. We're waiting for revival. We're waiting and, and, and we come to church and, we, and we're waiting and we're expecting that some beautiful place that we're gonna arrive at. Or perhaps it is a relationship that you started. And you had this idyllic picture about this relationship and now you're saying, how did I get here? This is not what I had in mind. Or you started a job and you thought, this is gonna be, this is gonna be it, and now you get to a place and you go, this, this is not what I thought it's gonna be. You're like us, stuck in the Karoo. How did I get here? How did I get to this place? So we get to verse five, and, and this is where I really wanna spend a bit of time this morning. Verse five, he says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When you read this, there's a little bit of a turn that's taking place. In verse one to four, there's this exalted expression of hope and joy, and then suddenly you get to verse five, and it's like, whoops, now I need strength for the journey. The joy, the hope of what was before me is starting to fade, I need strength. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Where you set a goal for yourself, set an objective, you're gonna do something, and you get going, and you're motivated, and you're excited. I, I mean, you know, New Year's resolutions are around the corner. How many of you are already thinking about the weight loss program that you're going to start Monday or Wednesday when it's New Year? And, and we start all excited, and we start running, and the gyms are full. And the churches are full in January because everybody's got good resolutions and they're motivated. But then you've gone to the gym four times and five times and the scale is not showing any improvement yet. It's not getting any easier. So you start you know, getting up five o'clock in the morning to go to gym is becoming a little bit more difficult. I'm not speaking out of any experience here whatsoever. <laughs> this is what other people tell me. But it just... And suddenly you need strength to do what you set out to do. 
You no longer have the internal motivation just from the hope and the dream. You now need strength. You need discipline. The psalmist is starting to experience that. He says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's a little shift here. He's not saying who set their minds on Jerusalem. He's saying who set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He's starting to learn something here. That the, 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 the journey is as important as the destination. That there's something good about the difficult journey. That it's not just someday. It's not just when I get to Jerusalem that I'm going to get closer to God. Perhaps right now on the journey, I'm already getting closer to God. It's not just God there waiting for me. That when I get to Jerusalem, then he will respond to me. Then I will spend time with him. Perhaps God is with me in the journey already. So I must set my heart not only on the destination, but also on the pilgrimage towards the destination. I must set my heart on pilgrimage. It's a very important life lesson for us to learn. Not just when it comes to the presence of God, but in our everyday lives. No matter what objective we've set before us, no matter what dream we have, we have to learn that it's not just one day when we get the perfect scenario that everything's gonna be good, but what is the goodness that God is busy doing in our lives along the way to there? Because I'll show you later, perhaps sometimes we won't even get to the destination, but there'll be so much goodness in the journey. Because God is in the ro- on the road with us. And if you make it all about the destination, you know, I can remember when we were, our kids were small, then we would always say, if they can just walk, then life will be good again. Little did we know. And, and then we said, if they can just start going to school, then, then we'll have our lives back again and life will be good. And then, and then we said, then if they can just be finished with school, then we'll have life. And, and now we sort of, if they can just get finished with studying, and, and if they can just get married, and if they can just give me granddaughters. <laughs> you know, we, we can always say, if we, just, if we just get there, then life will be good. And we keep postponing, we keep saying, there, then life will be good. If I just get that job, then life will be good. If I just get to that place, then life will be good. But here the psalmist is starting to learn that there's something good in the journey. There's something good to experience. And then he carries on in verse six, which is really the the crux of this psalm. He says in verse six, When they walk through the valley of weeping, or many of your translations in your Bibles will say, the valley of Baca. Just doesn't sound like a nice place to be, does it? Baca. The valley of Baca. Doesn't sound like a holiday destination or a resort that you want to go to. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. It's like when you read that, he's not now just in a place where, ooh, the road's a bit difficult. Now he's starting to descend into the valleys, into the deep places into the really difficult places. The valley of weeping is not a specific place that we know. Uh, I know there's people that try and point it on a map and say, that's the valley of Barker, but as far as we understand, according to the best resources I could get, everybody says it's not a particular place. They don't know where it is. And I think it's with a purpose that the, the writer does this because it's a generic place that many of us come to in our lives, the valley of weeping. It is known as a low place, a dry place. Normally a valley is caused by bodies of water, underwater uh, uh, rivers that have flown and they've cut out spaces and between mountains and it's a, a lower place. 
But this was a dry place. The trees that were growing there were something like uh, balsam trees that were trees that would weep or, or mulberry trees. But they think it, it probably was more balsam trees. But trees that grew in very arid and dry spaces. So can you imagine descending into a valley and, and there's this, this long, thin stretch of land before you where, where, where it's dry. And, and you're starting to walk and, it, and you can't see the end of it. And you feel confined. You feel like, this, this is not nice. And, and more real than the dream of the beautiful Jerusalem is now the dry and dusty, rocky terrain. And every step you give, the sun beats down on you. There's no provisions. There's no water. There's no comfort. There's no nice place. The, the, the dream of Jerusalem fades a little bit more, and the reality of the sharp rocks and the, and the heat becomes a bit more real. Until you come to the place where the, where the psalmist says, you're in the valley of weeping, the valley of Baca, where you go, where you feel, man, I'm further away from Jerusalem than when I started this journey. I was better off at home. It's the space where the Israelites said to Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the desert? We were better off with the flesh pots of Egypt. It's the place where you start forgetting the reason you started the journey in the first place. It's all the attraction, all the dream, all the idealization, all the romanticism of the destination is faded away completely and you're just stuck and you're having to decide, am I gonna turn back or do I have to keep going? That relationship that started with such promise, such hope, such, such love and desire, and you get to that place where you go, how did we get here? How did I get here? I feel further away from the hope that I have now than when I started. This relationship is not delivering. It's not doing what it's supposed to. The job that you started, it, it felt so good. You were so excited. I have a job, wow, that's gonna make my life so much better. But then you get to this place and you go, I don't know if this is worth it. You started a journey with the Lord and you started with some new Bible reading and you started a new book and you, and, and you started a prayer journals and, and you started and you said, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get closer to you and I'm gonna spend time with you. And then you descend into the valley and you go, Lord, it feels like you're further away than when I started. How many of you have ever experienced that? Come on. If you've been saved for any amount of time, you know how many valleys we have to go through. So the psalmist is in the valley. The valley is a dangerous place. The valley is a place where the enemy's voice becomes quite easy to hear. He speaks quite loud in the valley. I'm gonna tell you about three lies quickly that the enemy tells us when we're in the valley that we become open to and receptive to when he speaks to us. These three lies are, the first one is that we are in the valley and we are far from God and that we are a burden to others. Often when people are in the valley and they feel just a little depressed about life, a little bit, you know, like they start feeling I've got nothing to offer. I'm far away from God, he's not interested in me, he's forgotten about me and I'm being a burden to other people. It's a lie that the enemy tells people. Because in reality, 
As the psalmist writes, David writes in Psalm 23, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because, I will, let me tell you this, it is sometimes in the valley that God is the closest to you that he will ever be. It's hard to discern his presence, but he's got his nose right up against your nose, and you're saying, Lord, where are you? And he says, I'm right here. And you say, Lord, where are you? I'm right here. And it's, Lord, where are you? I'm right here. It's hard for us because the enemy tells us he's not with you. It's like when Jesus was in the desert. It's very difficult to know, but God is with you. He never leaves you. That's the covenant he made with us. That's the covenant that was written in the blood of Jesus. I will never leave you, never forsake you. He's with us in the valley. He's sometimes so close to us. And the fact is that when we don't have to be a burden to others when we're in the valley. We can be useful. We can do something, and I'll talk about that just now. The second lie he tells us is that we are alone and that no one understands. No one's been where we've been. No one knows what we're going through. We're alone. We, we're completely, you know, forgotten. We feel like Elisha. How many of you remember Elisha after he defeated the Baal prophets? And he fell into depression. And in, in 1 Kings 19 verse 10, he prays this prayer and he says, God, it's only me, me alone that serves you in the nation of Israel. And he believed that lie that he was alone. And later on in, verse, in, in chapter 19, the Lord reveals to him, there's 7,000 others that like him are standing and fighting for God's presence. Have you ever gotten to that place where you start believing that you're alone? that nobody understands. Can I, can, I, can I, with all the pastoral love in my heart, warn you to say, that is a very dangerous thing to start believing. I have made it a covenant with my own life that I will never say to myself, nobody understands. Because the moment you do that, you isolate yourself and you've got the enemy as company and he's got you right where he wants you. There's always somebody that'll understand. There's always somebody that's been through where you've been. There's always somebody that cares for you. There's always somebody that's interested in you. It may be very hard to believe that. It may be very hard to pursue those relationships. It may be very hard to keep going, but do not come to that place of saying, I'm alone and nobody understands. That's a lie that the enemy says. The third lie is that there's nothing that can be done and you are, all your efforts are useless that you are now stuck in the valley and there's nothing you can do about it and there's nothing you can do to get yourself out of it. Anything you do is just wasted effort. It's a lie, it's the third lie the enemy will tell you. It may be that your efforts take a lot more energy, that you have to put a lot more in for a little bit of result, but you're not useless. You're not in a place where you can't do anything about it. And that's what he captures for us in the rest of the verse when he says this in, in verse seven. It will become a place of refreshing springs. The New, the New Living Translation says, which I used this morning, it will become a place of refreshing springs. That's not a great translation. The correct translation is more something like the New King James or most of the other translations, New American Standards, where it says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a spring the rain also covers it with pools. They make it. 
You see, this is it. When we are in the valley of weeping, in the valley of Baca, it is a great opportunity for us to make the desert become a place of fountains of life. The desert can't do it. We have to do it. There's two resources of water that was available when you were in the valley of Baca, according to the psalmist. First, there were underground water that if you dug and you dug deep enough, the water would come up. And then there was the autumn rain. And if you were in there in the right time and the rain started, there would become water available to you. So what people that did evidently when they traveled through this kind of places and, and there were different valleys that were like this, is it would be their habit that when they were walking through these valleys, they would spend a length of time in these valleys. So what they would do to get water is they would dig hollows in the, in the, in the sand or in the soil. And to achieve two purposes, one of two ways that this would be successful for them. When they dug a hollow is first of all, they could possibly get in underground water and then a fountain would arise and then they could feed themselves and their animals and drink from the water. Or the second option was when you dug a hollow in the soil, then if it rained, the water would come into that hollow and then you could retrieve it from the hollow. And there's this beautiful picture that in some of the commentaries they say, so that when you were caught in a valley like this and it was dry and it was desert and it just looked like there's no life and no possibility and you dug this well, there may be no water in it at first. But if the rain started falling, then suddenly you would see the water start filling your hollow. But then you would look up and see something amazing. Of every other person that traveled, and suddenly the hollows they dug would become visible as the water started filling there. And you would have this valley filled with wells that people dug that you didn't know were there. That you didn't know that others that have gone before you have had the same experience. But because they got down and they got into the soil and they started digging and looking for the provision, not saying, ah, I'm just gonna die here, I can't do anything about my situation, this is the end, but said there's life here and they started digging, the water will come. But if you don't dig, the water won't come. Because the rain can fall, but it will just flash floods, you know, in places like that. It'll just disappear. But if you dig. So the, the, the challenge for us is when we are in the valleys of weeping, where we're in those places where we go, how did I get here? I'm so far away from my dream. I'm so far away from what I hoped and expected. It's not to become immobilized, but to stop in that space and to say, how do I put my pain to work? How do I get stuck in and do what I can? You may be in a job that you started and you thought it was gonna be so wonderful and now you're going, how did I get here? I just wanna get out. There's nothing good for me, it's terrible. Perhaps your way out is not getting out but it is getting down and to start digging the wells. Perhaps you can turn that horrible place into a spring of life. Perhaps not just for you, but for others that'll come after you, that'll be encouraged and strengthened. If every Christian in every difficult place they find themselves pray, Lord, get me out of this difficult place, then how will the difficult places be transformed into the kingdom of God? We are his agents. You see, we can't live in a world where we're all just going for Jerusalem, but none of us are interested in bringing Jerusalem here. We all just wanna to get to God's presence. We all just wanna go Sunday to church so we can experience God's presence at church. But what about God's presence 
right there in the desert, in the valley where you are. And this is what this psalmist was starting to experience and learn, that God placed them in that place and that God was close to them and God was actually working with them and saying something amazing can happen. You can transform this valley. It is important that when we are in places like this, we do as we carry on reading and I'm gonna finish shortly. In verse eight he says, O Lord, of God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer, listen, O God of Jacob. You see, whenever you're in a painful place, a place of disappointment, a place like this valley of weeping, you must keep on bringing your prayer, your pain to God in prayer, your disappointment. Because if you don't bring your disappointments and your pain to God in prayer, your pain will become your idol. It'll become the thing that guide you and lead you. It'll become the thing that defines you. But if you keep on coming and saying, Lord, I started this journey and I had such hope for this relationship. I had such hope for this work job. I had such hope to get closer to you. I had such hope, Lord, but I'm disappointed. How did I get here? You keep bringing that to the Lord and that wonderful thing happens where the Lord starts transforming your heart as he did with this guy and you'll see it just now and and you'll move from a place of it's all about me and my pain to a place of, Lord, what are you doing? And one of the most important questions we can ask the Lord in a time of the valley of weeping is saying, Lord, what are you teaching me? What am I receiving in this time? What are you doing? What are you focused on? What is your dream? Perhaps it's time to let go of my dream and ask you, what's your dream, Lord? It's not all about me. It's about what you have in mind. And the psalmist carry on in verse nine, he says, God, look with favor upon the king. Our shield, show favor to the one you have anointed. I mean, here he is suddenly in the dirt and in the struggle and suddenly he prays for the king. Why? Why would he move from, I'm struggling, I I'm, I'm just need strength to keep going on this journey. Now he's praying for the king because something happened in his heart when he moved from it's all about me to what God wants. He started realizing there's a bigger picture. There's bigger things going on. I may be stuck in the desert, but that doesn't mean everybody's stuck in the desert. That doesn't, is the sum total of everything God's doing. God is still busy with the king. God is still doing things in the nation of Israel and I'm gonna pray for that. Although I, I'm stuck here, I'm gonna pray for what God's doing over there. It is one of the most dangerous things when we get into a state of depression in a hole like this is we make our world become smaller and smaller and smaller and so that we feel it's only what I can manage is me and myself. I I understand the, and there's wisdom and I've gotta be very careful with what I say. There's wisdom, I'm I'm not saying when you're in in a real state of depression just add more stuff to your life. You need wisdom, you need counsel. But we've gotta be careful that we don't Make it all just about me. Because then we get lost. He lifts his eyes and he looks outside of the valley and he remembers God is doing other things outside. So great that a person can do that. And then he says, and now the the last part of the psalm starts. He, He reminds himself now. Now he's here in the valley, but the picture starts coming back in his mind about the beauty of Jerusalem. But this time the pictures are a bit different. They're not these idealized, romanticized pictures that he had before. There's something more real about them now. Because perhaps he recognizes that he started the journey looking for the blessings of God, and now he's looking for the God of the blessings. He's saying, I wanted to get to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's so beautiful and so wonderful, and and God's presence is there. But now he's saying, Lord, your presence is right here with me. Right here. 
So when I get to Jerusalem, it's just, it's gonna be more of what I have now. There's something changing, there's a maturity, there's, a, there's an, uh, something beautiful happening. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand everywhere else. I mean, here he is in a horrible place. But he says, Lord, I'd rather be a doorman in your presence than be a homeowner of a luxury home in a place that you are not. It may be that our faith and our pursuit of Jesus leads us to places where we're not homeowners, where we don't have everything we dreamt of, where we don't have everything that we desired, that we don't have all of our our dreams met, but we found the greatest thing and where we can say, I'd rather be a doorman in your house. I'd rather be with you than have everything. This is what grew in this person in the Valley of Baca. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. There was a distilling, a purifying. So I want to encourage you with this. Chris, you guys can join me. I want to encourage you with this. You may have started a journey, whatever journey. And you may now be at that place where you go, I don't know how I got here. I don't know if this is worth it anymore. I, I think turning back is the best option for me, getting off this road. There's no hope. Perhaps 2019 has left you despair, in despair. You started 2019 with such hope. And you feel I'm further away at the end of 2019 from what I was dreaming and hoping for than when I started. And now 2020 is coming, and how's that gonna be any different? It's just gonna be more of the same. I'm gonna tell you today, start digging some wells in the desert. Start saying, Lord, what are you asking of me? Move away from me, my pain, my struggle. Submit it to the Lord. It may take time. It may take many prayers of going to the Lord all the time saying, Lord, my pain is so real. I feel so frightened. I feel so insecure. I feel so vulnerable. But I keep coming to you and I say, Lord, I'm not gonna act. I'm not gonna do things that is out of my strength. I, I, I want to you to use me. I want to experience what you have. I don't know how many of you know of the book Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by John Bunyan who lived from 1628 to 1688. He was arrested at the age of 32 because he conducted religious meetings without permission of the state church. For 12 years he stayed in jail but there he dug some wells. There in the Bedford jail he wrote nine books including Pilgrim's Progress. By the end of his life, he had published 60 books. Before dying at age 60, the Apostle Paul has the same story. So much of our New Testament was written while he was in prison. The question can be asked, if Paul never went to prison, would he have the time to write the New Testament? Would he have the time to dig the wells so that you and I today can drink the wells? Sometimes God is putting you in a place because he's building something that you will not understand. If we read Hebrews 11, if I read it for you quickly, it tells of the people of the faith that stood and had these dreams and these expectations and these hopes, and then it says of them, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Their hearts were set on pilgrimage. 
Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. They moved, they started a journey. And then it ends with verse 16 of Hebrews 11. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has prepared for you more beautiful places than you can ever dream of. But you've got to let go of your dreams to receive his dreams. And that often happens in those spaces where we just don't know how did we get here. So I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter how difficult a place you find yourself, how much loss you may be feeling and experiencing. There are wells that can be dug. And God can do something new. So can I pray with you this morning? If something of what I've said speaks to you, I'm certain it wouldn't have spoken to every person here. But if something of what I've spoken, what I've said has spoken to you and there's something in your heart that goes and you recognize a space where you've gone, it may be a small space, it may be a big space, it may be a, a little part of your life, it may be all of your life, varying degrees in between. But where you go, I don't know how I got you, but I recognize it's not where I wanna be. And I feel like I've lost ground. I feel further away from where I started. The promise is fading. I I just feel alone. You feel tempted to believe that you're alone, that nothing you do will make a difference, that you're just stuck. Can I pray with you this morning? If there's one person, I want to pray with you. Because Jesus is close to you. He's got his nose right up against your nose, and he says, come. Let me show you what I can do. But you have to start digging. You have to begin to believe and to have hope where there seems to be no reason for hope. If there's anybody like that here this morning, can I ask you to stand so that we can pray with you? And then I'm going to end. Thank you. If 2019 left you desperate, left you disappointed, left you feeling There's no hope, there's no future in in some area. Can I pray with you? Lord Jesus, you know every person standing. You know every situation. You know every hope, every dream that somehow is fading away. You know the detours. You know the ups and downs. You know the valleys of every person's life, of every experience represented here today. And for those on watching on YouTube or listening on the radio. You know. You know the loss that is trying to take away from them so much. I present every person to you in spirit right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray right now. I ask Holy Spirit that you would make Jesus real to every person. That right now a little light will flicker in their hearts that goes, Jesus is with me. He's not left me. He's not forsaken. I'm not alone. I'm not useless. I'm not a burden to other people. I can stand up. I can arise. I can shine in the midst of this. God has got good things that he wants to do in my life. I pray that for them first, Lord, that they would experience just that you are with them. And then secondly, I pray for them for strength to come into their hands right now. Their spiritual hands, Lord. 
strength that will come in them and they say, Lord, where do you want me to dig? Where must I dig? Come Holy Spirit. They may feel so, I've dug so many times and nothing's come of it. Give them strength, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And then thirdly, I pray, Lord, that you would lift their head. That they will lift their heads and that they would start seeing things above and beyond their own limited world and experience. That they would start noticing other things and start saying, God is doing good things. I may be in the desert, but others are not. May they start lifting up their prayers. May they submit their pain to you in prayer. And may they lift up others in prayer. And in prayer, start just engaging with your power. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I want to break the lies of the enemy over people here today in Jesus' name. I want to break that lie of God has left you and you are a burden to others over people right now in Jesus' name. It's a lie from Satan and I break its power. We expose it as a lie this morning. You are not alone. God is with you and others know and understand. And I release over people the right connections with others that can help them. I break the lie that nothing you can do will make a difference. I break that lie over people today in Jesus' name. I break that lie. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord that faith arises within us in this point. In the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. I want to invite you. If you feel you just need some more prayer. Our pastors are here. They want to pray with you and some of our elders. Come to the front as I end the service and let's pray with you. If you've come here this morning and you, you don't know the Lord Jesus, come forward. Tell the pastor, tell the person that wants to pray for you, I want to meet Jesus and let them help you with that. But I've kept you way too long this morning, so let me end in a word of prayer and release you. Lord, we thank you for 2019. Thank you, Lord, for this year with its many challenges but we saw you at work. And we have hope in our hearts. We have a hope for this nation because our hope is you. We have a hope for our city. We have a hope for this church, for South Church, the East Church. We have a hope, Lord, that you are doing good things. And so we put our trust and our hope in you. I bless every person that's here joining us over any digital platform. I bless them and I release them into your grace and into your strength in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. May the Lord bless you as you go.